When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. is the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZUSA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, Uplander, and Dakota 283. On this episode of the show, we're talking to Cliff Enzer of Uplander about his company, Up and Bird Hunting, Up and Birds, and more. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 157. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Excited to have you here today. Got a great conversation for you coming up in a moment. First, just want to mention a couple of things. Got a new promo code for Onyx Hunt. If you've been listening for a while, you know they've been a longtime supporter of the show. Going back to 2017, I think, or not long thereafter, we had a discount code for years with the name of the podcast changing. Wanted to get a new code for all of you. So the next time you go to resubscribe or re-up your Onyx subscription. Or if you're signing up for the first time, use code BSP20. That's BSP, like Birdshot Podcast, 20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. All right, Patreon supporters, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're just coming off of the Thanksgiving holiday. I recorded this interview right before then. I have much to be thankful for in my life and in the world of the Birdshot Podcast. I am most definitely thankful for everybody that has opted to become a Patreon supporter of the Birdshot Podcast. But as always, thank you to everybody out there tuning in, listening, sharing your thoughts, feedback, comments. I enjoy it all, and I appreciate each and every one of you. For the Patreon supporters, we are a day away from wrapping up eligibility on the November giveaway, which happens to be a Dogtrap Pathfinder Mini GPS collar 
that will be going to one of the Patreon supporters very soon. This episode will be out in November, so you've still got some time if you're listening to this to sign up as a Patreon supporter and become eligible for that giveaway. If not, fear not. You can always join up in December, and you will be eligible for the December giveaway, which is a 2022 hunt at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. More details to come on that. Thank you for considering being a Patreon supporter of the show. Couldn't do it without you, and I appreciate your support. All right, let's go. Today's show, we are joined by Cliff Enzer of Uplander, who you may recall as a current partner of the Birdshot podcast. And you may recall from our launch episode or somewhere around there that Cliff is the contributor of the logo for the Birdshot podcast. When I was working on the new show and in need of some artwork, I reached out to Cliff out of the blue because of his work with Uplander and the designs and the artwork and a lot of the stuff that he shares through his company, Uplander. I thought it was very cool. And I reached out to Cliff knowing that he would understand the concepts that I was looking to portray visually for the Birdshot podcast. And Cliff was more than happy to help me out, for which I am very thankful for. And I was looking forward to bringing Cliff on the show to catch up with him a little bit, learn more about him as an upland bird hunter, learn a little bit more about Uplander, some of the work that they do and the things that they offer. And our conversation really blossomed. Uh, Cliff and I had quite a bit in common. We mixed in a little deer hunting conversation. And late in the conversation, we started talking about some of the things that he's doing with his action camera and recording things in the field and the things that he's sharing on his YouTube channel, which is a topic of interest for me. And I think will be more and more for folks that maybe listen to this show, especially as we approach the dreaded off season. Uh, I don't know about you, but some of the bird hunting stuff that is starting to pop up more and more on YouTube. I really appreciate it. I like watching what other people are doing and getting a look into some of the hunts and the dogs and the places that other people are going and chasing birds. I think it's cool. And Cliff is doing that a little bit. So we talked about that and we also took a pretty interesting deep dive into some grouse cover related conversation, which I'm hopeful that a lot of the rough grouse hunters listening will find interesting and maybe have some thoughts and perspectives to share with us after you listen to the interview. So please do so if you have thoughts and ideas on some of the stuff that Cliff and I talk about. You can email me at nick at birdshotpodcast.com. All right, that's it for me. Let's get into it and welcome into the conversation and onto the Birdshot Podcast of Uplander, Cliff Enzer. We are rolling on the Birdshot Podcast. Cliff, thanks for joining me today, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for uh, for having me on. It's always good to talk birds and dogs and upland hunting. So, yeah, as if we needed another excuse this time of year. But uh, the sun is down, and it's a it's a good time to be chatting dogs and birds. Yeah, I'll have to. I got to put my uh, my upland hat back on here. I've been kind of in deer mode for the last week because our season went out on the fifteenth, and that's when rifle season starts here. So. I've kind of had deer on my brain a little bit. This is kind of the two-week period throughout the whole year that I get to do it and spend a little bit more time focusing on that versus upland hunting, so I'll kind of have to switch back gears a little bit. I definitely wanted to get to that and get your perspective on the Michigan deer season. It sounds like you do deer hunt, and you know Michigan closed down the season. And I was just listening to Ron Bames hunting pod hunting dog podcast yesterday. And he was sort of commenting about how, you know, he's got nothing to do because he's not deer hunting. And it is an interesting thing to have the season shut down because 
both of the states that I primarily upland hunt in, Minnesota and Wisconsin, there's no shutdowns. And given where I'm at geographically, I can sort of, their, their seasons are somewhat staggered. They really don't have a whole lot of overlap. And so I sort of, I, I love deer hunting too, and I don't do it. I mean, this is the first year in quite a while that I'm not deer hunting. And it's, I don't know, I'm a little bit torn, but like, I don't, you, you've had the choice taken away from you. So you just kind of go do it. Like, what are your thoughts on that whole thing? Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, I, it, I'm forced into the position of having to deer hunt if I want something to do. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's, it's a nice little break actually, you know, you've been at it for at least two months, you know, a month or so that leads up to that. If you're scouting, you know, August, you're running dogs, you're getting ready. So you've been at this hardcore for the last three, maybe four months thinking about it and doing it. And now all yep. of a sudden, you know, you get to a point like, you know, I was just talking with my wife the other night, I'd been gone every weekend for the last seven weeks straight hunting up North, traveling back and forth. And it's like, you know, you, it goes by so fast and then you're like, holy crap, it's been the last seven weeks I've been hunting up North um, yeah. and making that trip. And now, you know, it's, the dogs get a little bit of a break. I kind of get to relax a little bit, shift focus and, you know, work on some other things. And it's, it is kind of a nice, enjoyable break to me, honestly. Yeah. I, I can see the pros and cons to it. And again, just sort of having like being, having the decision taken away from you, like, you know, you can't go grouse hunting, so you can just kind of forget about it and give the dogs a break. I could, I could see that. Cause I'm, I'm like sort of constantly torn about, man, you know, it'd be a nice day to be sitting in the deer stand and kind of, you know, doing the traditional thing that I, I, you know, I grew up loving that stuff, but now with the bird dogs and stuff, if it's a nice day and the conditions look good, I'm just thinking about <laughs> bird hunting. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, even like my deer hunting has gone down the drain quite a bit and how much yeah. I spend in the woods doing it just for the fact that, you know, even I'll take my dogs and take all my stuff up North and go to the cabin. I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to try and deer hunt in the evening or something. If I can break off and run the dogs all day and then go hunt for the last two hours of the day and sit in a deer stand. And then it always comes down to it. And I'm up there, I'm running the dogs. I'm having a good time. I'm like, uh, no, forget the deer. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go run the dogs right now. And that's how <laughs> I spend the rest of my day. And I end up don't, and I don't put as much time into deer hunting as like right now when I have the break and it's all I can do. So I've got a nice little period of time where I can try and get back into it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, you kind of like maybe answered a question that I've been asking myself. Like I sort of have aspirations of, I bought a bow a few years ago thinking I was going to get into archery hunting and I have not yet. And I, I have that same thought because I've got the cabin and I think, man, if I could just be at the cabin for a few days, you know, I could get plenty of bird hunting in and then, you know, deer hunt the fringes, but it's, it sounds like, yeah, I think that's much better. sounds much better on paper than it does in reality. Yeah. I mean, what's funny about it is I'll be out, you know, some of these spots, it's great for deer scouting because you're covering so much ground and you run into so, so much sign. Some of the spots I go into, you come across a big rub, you see a whole edge that's just tore up with scrapes and it all looks fresh. And then you're like, Oh, this looks like I could, I wouldn't mind sitting over top of this right now. And you kind of get a little deer head or deer brain going on. And then, yes. but, but at the same time you forget about it and go back to hunting with your dog. And then later if I'll go and I'll sit somewhere and I'll deer hunt, I'll be sitting for like a half hour and it'll be nice. And I haven't seen anything yet. And I'll be like, huh, sure would be a nice evening to be hunting with the dog. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm on the same page with you. And, and that is the way that I think about, it. I, I was wondering, and you had, you had alluded to it earlier that you deer hunt in the same area that you're bird hunting. And like, as up and bird hunters, 
going where we go, like you have some super valuable intel when it comes to deer scouting. And I, as I mentioned, like I've always had that kind of love for deer hunting and obviously you do too. So like, that's just one of the, one of the games I'm playing while I'm out there, like my dog's off running somewhere and you know, I'm looking for birds and observing everything else, but I'm looking at the deer sign and I get, I get fired up about that stuff too. And it, it seems like such valuable Intel to waste, like with the ground that we cover and the miles we put on. Yeah. And I think even going back to a point where you said, you know, some of the spots where you go in and you end up deer hunting there, or you want to deer hunt there. So there's one spot that I hunt, it's up on this big hill and it's right in the middle of a cut. And the cut's probably like 20, 20 years old, 22 years old. So it's kind of starting to age out, but it still holds birds. And I don't ever bird hunt it just for the simple fact that I'm like, no, that's my, that's my deer hunting spot. I'm going to yeah. just save it and I'm going to go in there and deer hunt. So for the last few years, I've been deer hunting it and I'll go and I'll go sit with a bow for a couple nights and I won't see anything. And a lot of times though, I'll see grouse walking in front of me or I'll bust a bird while I'm walking up in there. And I'm just like, God dang it. I ho- can I just shoot something tonight so I can come <laughs> back with the dog tomorrow? And yeah. I had never gone in there during season with the dog. And then at the beginning of this year, it was like mid-October and I was like, screw it. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to hunt with the dog just one time because it hasn't done anything for my deer hunting in the past. It's not like, you know, I've, I shot some monster buck or right. nice deer out of there because I didn't go and hunt in there with my dogs. So I was like, screw it. This time I'm going in there with the dog and I ended up shooting a grouse in there. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. Like, and I almost like <laughs> the deer hunting happens like almost vicariously. Like I, this, this kind of relates to our conversation where we're going to go today, but I, I end up watching a lot of the hunting public videos and I mean, yes. I just, I love their videos. I love, I love the, like sort of the way they hunt deer and you know, this, again, this, this topic is going to come up a little bit later on because I, I think we're going to see more of this in the, in the upland bird hunting world and we're starting to, but I just, I get such a kick out of sort of the way that they analyze and break things down. And, and I think deer hunting sets up really well for what they do because you've got a lot of these sort of in the moment decisions where they're capturing the strategy and stuff, but you know, they're talking about bedding areas and everything. And like, you know, when I'm, I'm in the good grouse cover, I know like I'm pretty much in good bedding cover and you're seeing the deer beds and then you're looking at the terrain and the topography. And I just start thinking about all that stuff and I get a kick out of it. Sounds like, sounds like you're kind of the same. Yeah, they got a they got a really good thing going on with what they do and like they've kind of honed in on their own form of hunting and that's what's I think is also so enjoyable about what they do. And every time I go deer hunting, I sit there in a tree stand not seeing anything and I'm just like, dude, these guys are just walking around the woods shooting yep. big bucks and here's me just sitting here staring at nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the one thing like we won't spend too much time talking about deer hunting, but I with the amount of of ground that we cover and, you know, cause it, like they'll walk up on deer and they'll jump deer and like, that's the one component that this guy kind of missing when we're out there with the dogs. Cause I think, you know, the dogs are pretty much clearing the area before we come through. But like, if I was walking and walking up on a bunch of bucks, walking through this cover, like I might get even more fired up, but it's probably a good thing that my dogs kind of <laughs> scare them off before I see them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yup. <laughs> Give me the, uh, Give me the quick deer season recap because it's it is November and I want to hear what, what's going on at, at deer camp for Cliff. Um, I did shoot a doe opening day of our rifle season, like middle of the day. It was like eleven o'clock, and I was kind of sitting in this back corner of this section, and there was people shooting around me all morning, and I was sitting between two thickets where I could probably just see an open stretch of like one hundred and forty yards, and it sets up for a good rifle sp- spot, especially when you have pressure around you. And I knew at some point. 
you know, and I could tell at like the waves of when people started standing up on opening day. Cause at like, at, you had the nine o'clock crew that was like, all right, I'm getting up and I'm either going back to the truck or moving around because at like nine Oh six to nine 15, there was a flurry of shooting. And then the same thing happened at 10 o'clock, like 10 Oh five to 10 15 people were shooting. So I was like, I just got to stick it out. Eventually something's probably going to get bumped back my way. And at 11 o'clock, I look up, there was a four point walking through the lane. He crossed. And then at Two minutes later, a group of does popped out to my left, right on top of my lap. And at first I was like, man, I don't, I don't really know if I want to shoot one back in here and work to get it out. But at the same time, I was thinking, you know, but put one in front of my face and I guess I'll see how I feel at that point. And I've learned if, you know, especially when I don't deer hunt as much now as I used to, you know, when you have an opportunity, you should probably take it. Yeah. So I took the shot. She made a good shot on her, got it all cleaned up and out of there. And then the next morning I went back, sat there and I, there was a doe that popped out into the lane in front of me. And I was like, there's probably something else following her. And I looked back to the the wood line and another doe poked her head out. And then I saw a nice buck come out from there. And I was like, oh man, like this is like, I'm going to get a shot. They're going to, that other doe is going to follow right up where the first doe went and they're both just going to walk right down that trail. So I'm sitting there, I'm all dialed in on the scope, ready for something to just poke its head out where I'm looking. And like a minute goes by and I'm like, man, where did these deer go? They were right there. They had to be coming, but they hadn't showed up yet. And I caught something. There's a, just a couple pine trees that were down this open lane too. And for whatever reason, the, the other doe and that buck decided to split and go around the backside of all those trees and then cut across the opening at the last second. And that was, that was that. Uh, So no shot there. I guess that's, I mean, that's how it goes. I guess you could relate that to grouse hunting. Sometimes the chips fall your way and other times they don't. Yeah, absolutely. Are, Are you hunting public land then? Yeah. Yep. Okay. What sort of the buy a license? Can you shoot anything? You got restrictions? Is it buck only? What's the what's the basics? Yeah, I mean it's actually changed here quite a bit in the last two years. So before you would always get a combo tag, which would be good for two bucks, and one one of those buck tags had to have four more points on one side, and the other okay. one you could shoot any sized antler deer that you wanted to with it. And during bow season, you could also tag one of those tags with a doe, but come rifle season, you could not tag it on a doe. It was buck only. And then two years ago, they switched it. So, you know, they're trying to increase quotas for antlerless deer and this and that. So they changed it and switched it. So now your two combo tags that were always just buck only during rifle season, you can now tag a doe with it. Interesting. So you can shoot either a Two bucks or two does or one of each with those two tags. Wow, that's not so obviously uh deer population is is doing okay over there. Yeah, it's it's doing good. I mean, depending on who you ask, I guess, just like yeah, it's grouse. all it's all relative, yeah, yeah. And the reason I'm saying that is because most of where I could go hunt, it would be buck only and that would be it. Like it's lottery doe permits or they're not available, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, no, that's interesting. Uh, so I mean, growing up in a, in sort of an upper Great Lakes state and, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's not, it's not limited to this, but like the sort of the buildup in the, the deer camp tradition, I mean, it's huge in, in the states that I'm familiar with for sure. What is, and I know it's, I know it's big in Michigan. What is like the, what is like the opening weekend? Do you guys have a, do you guys have a big camp tradition? And then when you go out on opening day, I mean, is it people everywhere? Is it madness? Or like you're able to kind of carve out your own little piece of public land? Like, how does it work? Yeah, so my my dad and I go up together. Um, I don't think I've missed an opening day with him in probably 
eight years now. Before that, I'd missed a couple just due to other things that came sure. up, you know, work life, things like that. We kind of got out of a couple years of hunting together at that point. Um, but even all during, you know, growing up, it was always just my dad and I going out. And if he had yeah. another friend that hunted on the property that we hunted, he would be there as well. But usually it's just my dad and I uh, going out. And this year, same thing again. We have, My family has a cabin up north, so I spend okay. a lot of time up there during the fall. And it's usually my dad and I who go up and get together there and uh, hunt for opening weekend or, well, it, the the opener is on the 15th, 15th of November. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't matter what day it falls on. It's always the 15th. This year it happened to be on a Monday. Yeah. Um, there is, I mean, you know, just like most of the Great Lakes, Northern Great Lakes state, you have a plethora of open to public land in the yep. Northern tier of the state. So, I mean, up there, there's quite a bit of land that you could spread out. There is still a lot of people that are hunting, but you know, you don't, some of the Southern sections down here, you know, especially you have like in our area, every Every dang road is a one mile by one mile block. So every piece of land that's around here, there's people coming from four directions to get a half mile to the center of it. So yeah. when you have opening day and during rifle season, it gets pretty crowded down here in the southern part of the state where I live. But there's plenty of land up north where you could spread out or even if you walked into somebody, um, you know, you just keep keep walking somewhere and you eventually find a nice little area that you can carve out to yourself. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, I mean, part of the component is pressure, you know, those deer getting moved around by all the people in the woods and that, that can, can result in, you know, some disappointment for some folks, but it could be the next, the guy down the, down the lanes, best day ever, you know? Yep, exactly. <laughs> That's cool. So are you guys, you got any more deer hunting left in you? Are you done or what's the plan? Yeah, I'll probably go out here over the Thanksgiving break in this weekend here, okay. um, casually or time or two. Um, I'd like to, it would be nice to shoot another deer just cause my wife and I, we eat it so much. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could, between the two of us through a whole year, we could probably eat three. So I'm, I'll, I'm going to be out there for a couple more days here trying to get it done and see if we can get another one. Yeah. Good deal. It's a good thing to, good thing to fill up the freezer with if you can do it. That's for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Right on, man. Well, let's let's transition away from deer hunting a little bit. I appreciate the update. Um, again, kind of just like living uh, living my deer hunting life through others at this point, <laughs> at least for <laughs> at least for now. And I mean, I I'm very hopeful that I can expose my two boys to it, and you know, maybe that will will sort of give me the the push. And and you know, we've got the cabin, and like we could, I, I'd love to have a little camp tradition with with those guys. So. Well, there'll be some deer hunting in my future, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, that's awesome to have that. I want to hear a little bit a little bit about Cliff in general and and quickly sort of slide into how the world of outdoors and you know, more importantly, upland bird hunting and bird dogs, how did that stuff entered your life? I mean, really it's just been a part of my life and everything I've known since I could walk, basically. My dad yeah. had been taking me out. Uh, to the deer blind ever since I could walk, you know, four years old, he was dragging me out with him and I'd go sit. And, you know, it, that back in the day, you didn't have iPads and iPhones to sit on there and right. play on. So <laughs> you would just sit there and your dad told you to be quiet. And there's times where I didn't even want to move, you know, your leg falls asleep or something, but dad told me to be quiet and sit there still. So I'm sitting here. <laughs> and so that's kind of how my start got into to everything, um, just yeah. outdoors and hunting related. And it just, it just stuck, I guess. You, my dad threw some mud at the wall at that one with hunting and me and it stuck. Yeah. What about, what about bird hunting? Was your dad a big upland bird hunter? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, we always had, 
dogs. Brittany's growing up. Uh, at the most, we had three of them. Um, most of the time, we had two dogs for the most part. It wasn't as big as, you know, deer hunting to my dad um, yeah. or even me at the time. You know, our, our state, we talked about this a little bit, and, you know, especially the northern part of the Great Lakes states, it has a very deep and rich history with deer hunting. And that's yeah. definitely what I was exposed to early and what I was brought up to. But we always had the bird dogs as well. And we would always go out hunting with them as well from time to time. So it was something I'd always been exposed to my whole entire life growing up. Got it. So that kind of, uh, that explains the, the Britneys. You've, you've sort of been a Britney guy, born and bred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> what, was there any doubt that you were, you were going to be getting bird dogs someday? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously uh, there was a point in time where, you know, you move away from your parents, yeah. you go to school, do, you know, it, it, it kind of got out of my life just for the simple fact I couldn't have a dog. And that was probably a six year period. But I knew at some point I always wanted a dog and the time came where we had our own place. Things were settling into the right time to have a dog. So that was one of the first things I wanted to do. And I knew I was going to get a bird dog because that's what I grew up with. And it was something I wanted to wanted to do. So we found ourselves a little Brittany and he came home with us. And from there, it's been two more Britneys on top of that. Yeah. Awesome. So you got three. What, how, what are the ages on them? Um, I've got one that's over four years old, four and a half now. Is that one Yeti? Yes, that's Yeti. Okay. And then I've got a, another liver female who's going on two years at the beginning of January. And then an orange female who is a, just over a year old now. Okay. Good deal. Well, let's, okay. So let's, let's slide into sort of the first half of the, of your upland season. What's the early season been like for you? Uh, it was good. I mean, we started out our year in, in Montana. Uh, we okay. went out there yeah, that's uh, right. beginning of September. Let's talk about that trip a little bit. Was that your first time going out there? Yeah, that was, um, that was a big trip for, for all of us. Cause that was the first time we'd gone out of state, uh, for upland hunting. Any okay. of us, my buddy, Justin and I, uh, that I hunt with quite a bit. That was both of ours first out of, out of state trip for upland hunting. So it was, uh, I mean, if you picked a place to go, I guess that was a bit, pretty big one to do to drive out to Montana yeah. um, and try and pick it apart. But yeah, it was a lot of, lot, a lot of fun. It was a great trip. How did you go about, like, we don't need to get into locations or anything, but like, how did you go about kind of finding, finding where you wanted to go and finding where you thought you were going to get into birds? Uh, just being internet, internet sleuths, basically. Okay. I mean, yep. we scouted everything online, read, a, read a bunch of stuff, watched a bunch of stuff. There's so much information available out there if you're, yeah. if you're looking for it. And that was really the saving of the whole trip because without any of that information, I don't know, we would have just been walking out there, hopefully, hope, hoping to stumble upon some birds. Yeah. All right. So you hit the ground and you start looking at, start looking at the grass and, and like, I, you know, the listeners will know, like I'm coming at this from somebody that I've done it for three or four years now. But like before that, I was pretty, I was very green in, in the, you know, Western hunting. So now like I'm starting to get a feel for it, but what, what were you looking at? What were you looking for? And like, kind of, what did you find, you know, how, how challenging, I know you guys got into birds. I remember seeing your pictures and stuff. So what was it like getting into the birds and did you felt like you found the right kind of stuff early on in the trip? Yeah. So, I mean, if you back up from even the whole summer, everybody's talked about the drought we had, especially yep. out West. Yep. Um, so we kind of used that a little bit to our advantage where, you know, we thought, okay, there's a drought out there. If you can find cover that's not overgrazed or isn't burnt up, there's mm -hmm. probably a good chance there's going to be birds in it. 
Now, what exactly the cover looked like, we didn't have the perfect idea going into it. That That's where your boots on the ground comes in play. Yep. So, I mean, sharp tail stuff, much shorter than we originally thought. You okay. know, we were think you were thinking shin high stuff to knee knee high stuff, and it's like ankle stuff. Yep. That you're looking for sharp tails in. So that a lot of those things aren't fully realized until you start driving around and spending um, time looking for what you need exactly and where you might find birds. So I mean, we went. So our, we planned our whole trip around going for sage grouse. Oh and really? We, yeah. Yep. We that was okay. that was the thing. We originally talked about going in October. To Montana because you could shoot pheasants, you could pheasant hunt, sure. sharp tail hunts, everything. We really didn't think about sage grouse at that point. And then, you know, some of the some of the, this is where again you start looking at social media, other things, and you know you see some people sharing stuff from that. It's like, hey, it's October first, and we just got a foot of snow in Montana. Yeah. So we talked about it a little bit more, and it's like, you know, do we want to go out there in the beginning of October and have a chance of? Not just bad weather, but, you know, weather that you you don't want to be caught in. Yeah, right. And you definitely don't want to be hunting in it. So we said, okay, well, let's think about September again, even though we didn't want it to be hot on the trip or warm. Right. And then we thought about it, you know, if you're going to go to Montana, what's the bird that you want to go out there for? And it was sage grouse for us. So from that point on, we decided that we were going to go in September, go in the middle. Hopefully we hit the weather where it's not too hot. Um, we're not even too cold at that point because it can get colder even at sure. the end of September. So that's what we planned the whole trip around. And we got out there the first day. We shot some sharp tails. We made a move across the state to get set up that night to go sage grouse hunting the next morning. We woke up. The cover wasn't exactly because we came in there at the pitch, pitch black. Yeah, yeah. And we set up camp. We camped out that night. Sun came up the next morning and the cover just was not what we were hoping it would look like. So we spent the next half a day driving around and we burned, we burned through, I don't even know how long or how far we drove around that day on mile wise, yeah. looking for the right stuff. We found a couple of spots that are question were questionable, but we weren't too sure on. And, you know, you kind of relate it back to any type of upland hunting or hunting in general, you know, especially I've realized with grouse hunting here, you know, do you want to, you see a spot that doesn't look too bad and you're like, yeah, there could be a bird in there. And you go in there and you might, you know, you spend an hour and a half uh, messing around and you only move a handful of birds or something yeah. or it just yeah. wasn't. So you look at those types of covers and you go, there could be something there, but I don't want to spend a quarter of my day walking around trying to find one bird. Yeah. So yeah. we skipped There's those. a lot of pressure, uh, especially on those out-of-state trips, man. You feel like you're just – at least the days are kind of long then. But like you said, you could have heat or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of pressure to kind of like maximize your time, and it can it can be a mental strain. Yeah, exactly. And so we drove around, and it wasn't until like 1230 finally that we found something that looked good. And we were like, okay, we're going to hunt this. We're going to park what? here and we're – if I can jump in there, what were you looking for that you weren't seeing? Like when you woke up and the sun came up, what was what was lacking? There was a lot of silver sage in the areas that we were in, and it was just like ankle high stuff. And we wanted more of the big sage, yeah, yep. mixed in that was more mature. There was a little bit more cover in it, and that's what we spent the most of our day driving around looking for until Got we it. found it. And okay. then we found it, and. Man, I, 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 it pains me even to say this because some people are like, we, we walked all this time for sage grouse and we never even, you know, had a, barely had a shot at a bird or we got one, but man, 
I, I wish I could even make this up, but from the time I loaded my gun, turned my GoPro on, I was shooting at a bird at like 58 seconds into the clip. <laughs> Jeez. And then from there on, it took and within with under under five minutes, I'd shot my two birds. Yeah, it's two. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's uh. So yeah, it was. Well, you earned it in the truck, I guess. Putting the driving around looking for the right stuff paid off for you. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what it really really came down to. It was a culmination of driving and then you know seven months spent staring at a map and doing all yeah. our, our scouting. Well, that's got to feel pretty good. I mean, you know, like you said, sometimes the chips you know, go your way and sometimes they don't. And I'm, I'm sure you've had plenty of struggle bus hunts as well, but yeah, that one, uh, man, I mean, again, when you're like an early success where you kind of like connect the dots and like everything comes together, I mean, that's a big confidence booster on a, on an out of state trip in an unknown place. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had, we shot our birds that day and the next, and then we're just kind of like, well, what do we do now? This is what we came out here to do. And right. It was, we had this kind of vision in your head where you're like, yeah, we're going to go out there and maybe see a couple birds, maybe get a shot. You don't know what you're going to run into. Yeah. And then that happens and you're like, huh, what do we do now? Yeah. So then, you know, so this is what, like day two, three, how many days you got out there? Um, we spent, we got out there on a Saturday. We hunted Saturday evening and then, uh, Yes, it was Saturday evening because we drove through that. We left Friday evening, drove through straight through two, and we finally got in there because it was a two-hour time change from where we were at. So yeah, we got right. there at like 2 o'clock of their time, had the afternoon to hunt. Sage grouse hunted for the next two days after that, and then I think we sharp-tail hunted for another three days. Okay, all right. So transitioning back to sharp-tails, did you get into any hunts while you were out there? A couple. Okay. Probably two coveys we saw no shots yeah um we shot we shot a couple uh a, one guy in our group kyle he shot one um i missed my dog pointed my dog pointed probably a covey of 18 to 20 of them yeah and i got up there and if i could have gotten another 10 yards closer i probably would have had been better off so that's my yeah. excuse right there yeah but yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> but i whiffed on both shots as the birds got up and flew and cut right in front of me yeah yeah, I'm very familiar with uh, making a big miss and uh, and quick quickly justifying it or rationalizing it. Yes, yep. Oh, that's awesome. So, all right. So, walking away from the trip, you found sage grouse, sharptails, huns. Was there a bird and or a cover type or a, you know style of hunting that kind of swept you away? Like, do you have a favorite? You know, if like if you go back. Would you say we're definitely going to focus on sharp tails or we're going to go back and chase sage grouse? Like, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think if we've talked about it a little bit, and if we were to go back, and I'm I'm kind of one of the people that's like, man, this was such a great experience. I don't want to taint it and go back, and it turns out the complete opposite. Yeah, uh, because sometimes what you have is so good, and if you can keep that in your memory and not go back and screw it up by not failing, but it's just not what you had done before. Sure. Um, so it's like, is that something that you want to, you want to mess with? We had such a great trip, but we had, we talked about it a little bit. If we were to go back and do sage grouse again, we didn't get a, we didn't get a big bomber. That's the one thing that we were okay. kind of missing on our yep. trip. We shot some birds, but we didn't have that one where you look at it and it's just a giant two basketballs put together basically. Yeah. 
that's what we were missing for sage grouse. Um, so that's something that I think I would go back and give it a second try for. Um, if you have that mentality of that's what you're going in for and you have to be, you know, at that point, you know, you have to have the certain eye of what you're looking for instead of just shooting birds that get up in front of you. Yeah. You got, so you got some unfinished business there. (laughs) Now I know like I've seen enough of your videos to know that, you know, you do some pheasant hunting and stuff in Michigan. You know, you mentioned that was your first out of state trip. What was it like bringing your dogs out there and watching them run the open country? That had to been fun. Yeah. I mean, even it was fun. Uh, leading up to it, you know, it's, it's a little bit stressful thinking about the anticipation of going out there, you know, you're yeah. traveling all the way across, you know, the country to go hunt with your dogs. And it's not like I just had one dog, I had three dogs to look after and care for on yeah. a trip. So, you know, that was also a, my first experience doing that of looking after those three dogs yeah, for an entire lot, week. Lot new to you. Yeah. Yeah. And living out of a truck and, you know, something we're basically living living out of a truck with the dogs and you know how that was going to come into play. So it was my, one of my biggest goals for the trip before even going out there was, you know, dog safety. I just hope that we can go out there. We don't have any major issues with the dogs. Everybody comes home good, clean and healthy. Yeah. I'm sure you were thinking about snakes probably. Yes. Yes, I was. Um, you, you think about it here and then out there, when you're doing it, you kind of get a little bit more comfortable after you walk around for a day and you're like, okay, yeah. there's not snakes just jumping out at me after every <laughs> rock that I walk past. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you and I, you and I think alike a lot and that's pretty, pretty natural, but yeah, it's a, it's the big unknown, especially when you're planning and, and thinking about it. But then, yeah, like you said, once you walk around for two hours and you realize that you didn't step on one every five feet, yeah, you start to you start to uh, compartmentalize it a little bit, I think. Yeah, you loosen up about it a little bit. Yeah. Did you have? Any, did you see any? Have any encounters at all? No, we didn't. Okay. Luckily, that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right. So, as somebody that just kind of planned this first big trip out of state, truck camping, got the dogs, all that stuff. Anything that any like major uh, successes slash failures as far as like I'm thinking like your equipment, your truck setup, all that kind of stuff, anything that really worked well or something that you're like, nope, that didn't work, like got to change that up next time? Oh, that's a good question. It was, I guess room is always kind of an issue in the truck with how things are arranged. We probably, we overpacked for sure. So, and that's one thing, you know, you always tell yourself going on a trip, like, but when you're going on a new trip like that, it's how do you you, not? Yeah, exactly. Like I have a tendency just to overpack sometimes going up North to the cabin. So now I've kind of got it down in my head where I'm like, no, I, I need these two pairs of pants and two shirts and that's it. And some socks. But so you're, you're trying not to have that mentality, but at the same time, you don't want to overpack, but you don't want to underpack. So it's a fine. Yeah. Just like the snakes, you're thinking about all the worst case scenarios and yeah. Yup. For sure. That's funny. I, my my buddy Garrett and I are always joking about, you know, we do enough hunting trips together every year. And, you know, some of them are like weekend, three, three days to the cabin. And then others are like that trip. And it's like, you know, we always overpack clothes and stuff. It's like you bring this duffel bag full of clothes, thinking about all those things. And like you wear one outfit for four days in a row, you know, you maybe, maybe rotate in a, a, a pair of this or a pair of that. But it's like, I always have too much, too many clothes. Yep. I don't, I don't know how it's, it's hard to go less. And and then there is, there's a fine line because it's like, all right, well, I got to bring my duffel bag. I might as well have the thing full, you know? 
Yeah, exactly. Especially when you have the space. Yep. Oh, that's cool, man. So obviously sounds like a very, very fun, enjoyable trip out West. And, you know, it's fun to hear from people, you know, just DIY bird hunting at that point, you know, there's, there's a lot of information and resources out there. Like you said, I mean, I can't imagine it's ever been any easier than it is today. Like with, with our mapping and, and, you know, all the information resources now, like with the content channels that have opened up, whether it's podcasts or websites and now, you know, a lot more YouTube stuff like there, there's a lot that can be soaked up and learned it that can help you again, when you step up and you cut the dogs loose and you leave the truck in an unknown place, you've never been there before. Like if you don't have that stuff to fall back on, like you're going to be, you could be overcome by all the questions and like lacking confidence, but just had enough in your back pocket to give you the confidence to go for a hike and the dogs help too. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to cut a dog loose and go for a walk through some beautiful looking cover. Yeah. I mean the big, probably the biggest thing for us that was the most helpful for the trip was e-maps. So, you know, Onyx or different apps for yeah. map applications. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of people that we ran into and talked out there that they were just bouncing around from, you know, you have the state of Montana map on their website that has the walk-in properties listed. And you had all these guys just doing a little loop around to these walk-in properties, all hunting the same thing because that's all they knew. Yeah, But we found a lot of birds on state land that other people, if they didn't have a mapping system on their phone and didn't know what was private or public besides those walk-in areas, they were missing out on a lot of birds. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you almost feel like it's it's been so well covered and that so many people are using, you know, the Onyxes and, and everything like, but, but there are a lot of people that don't use it and that they, they just haven't got to that point yet. I know for me, like the ability to do that sort of real time strategizing and game planning and talking like legitimate resources and satellite imagery. If you run through a, a spot and move some birds, you know, you can, you can so easily take a look at that on the satellite and you know, slide over a mile or two and start looking for other places that look just like it. I mean, it, it just increases your efficiency so much. And like we talked earlier about having limited time on the ground, in the woods, wherever you are, like it really improves your efficiency as a bird hunter. Yeah. I think efficiency is probably the key there. And I think that's what we're always, when Justin and I hunt together, that's always our biggest thing is just how can we be the most efficient? Yeah. And with having that information available to you, where if you find something, you can say, let's go duplicate it again it's it's right there and it cuts cuts a lot of guesswork out of the it's it's almost like cheating in a way i guess but it's you have it available to you at this point right yeah it's interesting i mean again that, that stuff just was not available you know not that long ago and the information that we have at our fingertips i think it's interesting how it sort of plays into the conversation about you know hot spotting and and like like i'm not gonna dive into that but it just like we have so many resources and I mean, we're talking, we've got forestry data and, and cut mapping and all kinds of stuff that it's, it's all there. If you want to, if you want to take the time to sort of look and piece that stuff together and then you combine that with a good chunk of time on the ground and you can be a much more efficient hunter today, I think, than you could 10, 15, 20 years ago. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like you said, the information is there. You just have to, you got to look for it. Yeah. Very cool. So, all right, then we then you head home and you're back to the to the grouse woods of Michigan. Talk to me about how the grouse season has been so far. Well, we actually had to put 
our the beginning of our grouse season here back on hold a little bit because somewhere along the lines out there, our whole it was uh, myself, um, Justin, and Kyle. Those were the two other guys that I was with. So the three of us, we actually caught COVID out there. Oh man, bummer! And we came home and we all came down with it like that Monday and Tuesday after we we came home. So. We were down and out for like two weeks, all of us with COVID, and we actually had a big hunt that following weekend after we got home from Montana that we had planned with a bunch of guys to go up and do a hunt with for grouse and woodcock, and we actually ended up having to cancel on that and miss out on that because Lover. we were we were all sick. Yeah, but from there, yeah, it's been it's been good. Um, so I started hunting for the most part back here October the beginning of October that first weekend and then from there it's like I said earlier it's been seven weekends every single weekend it's hard to believe and it's hard to believe that it's gone by this fast and we're already coming up on Thanksgiving but here we are so yeah it's been a fast but fun season so I guess that's what that's what happens when you're having fun yep that's pretty pretty typical you get a few few weekends on the calendar your you know your friend your camps with friends and maybe you get a solo weekend mixed in there it, it is amazing how the time on the calendar can can fly by so dang fast that's for sure but what's your take on on the grouse hunting in Michigan good bad neutral this year it's it's definitely good um i think most people out there are having a good season they're seeing yeah. birds especially when it comes to grouse Again, it depends on who you ask, of course, but for the most part, people are are seeing birds. Um, Even some of the uh, COs that we've been stopped by and talked to are saying, you know, people are seeing birds, everybody's having a good season. Um, I don't necessarily know if it's that big of an increase in birds this year compared to what I've seen a little bit in the past here. Yeah. Just from the fact that some of the spots that I've gone into that are a little bit more marginal, the, the birds haven't been bleeding it over into them. There's been birds in odd places and people are running into birds in unconventional places, but there's a, there's been a lot of pressure this year. And I think yeah. a lot of those birds have been moved into some of these other places that people are finding them because of how much pressure there's been everywhere. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I know like I heard from a, a few of my Michigan friends that, you know, it seemed to be a pretty relatively positive sentiment in general. And I feel like that kind of, would be the same for Minnesota and Wisconsin. I actually had some, I had some interesting experiences primarily hunting Wisconsin where I didn't, I, I did not as well as I was expecting to based on some of my other hunting and never really could quite put a finger on like what was going on. It just seemed to be very like much more spotty in, in some of my hunting there than like my time spent hunting in Minnesota. And those are the, those are the two states that grouse hunted in this year. But I don't know. It's like we said, it's relative, depends on who you talk to. And it's so, it's like up and down regionally, locally, like, you know, you drive 30 miles to the West, East or North, and you could find a totally different number. And then you're not in the woods every single day. You don't hunt every single cover. Like who knows exactly what's going on, but it sounds like pretty good season and definitely maybe some interesting locations on birds as far as moving into different cover, but maybe pressure related versus like just an overflow of birds. Some things have been a little bit funky, like kind of how you hinted at with Wisconsin. There's there's some spots that, you know, I was going into beginning and mid-October where, you know, I was going in on hoping to find food, and these are all spots that have produced birds in the past. There's no reason for them not to be here this time of year. But the one thing that we've been missing, and this is like 
pretty much statewide is we don't have any soft mass of anything, so there hasn't been. So like the thorn apples aren't full of them. Yes, there hasn't been any of that. There's no apples. There's no olives. Oaks are very scarce. So some of the spots that you were going in, or at least that I was going in, depending to hunt on food for an evening or something, there hasn't been food there. So the birds weren't in that, you know, path, direct path that I had in mind that I was going to go in there and hunt. And that's that's been a little bit, probably the most challenging part of the season so far is just some of those spots where you're expecting to go in because there's been food there in years past, the, yep. the food isn't there this year, and there really isn't any food anywhere besides, you know, you find some snowberries and stuff like that throughout cuts. And so birds are just kind of picking at some odd things here and there. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Yeah, I imagine like it has something to do with that. And, you know, that was always in the back of my mind for most of the season was was the drought and how was that going to affect it. And, and I will say like after my early season hunting, which was focused primarily in Minnesota, I was just kind of came to the conclusion like, wow, the dry, warm, dry conditions must have really helped because I, I felt like bird numbers were pretty dang good. So then I, I didn't start hunting Wisconsin until much later in the season. And I spent less time over there, but the time that I was over there was like prime time. I mean, third week in October, first week in November, and conditions were really good. And so I just, I was, I found myself scratching my head quite a bit in that, you know, hunting a lot of spots that I expected to do quite well in and would not find the birds. But, you know, then I'd go down the road and, you know, have a 15, 20 bird hunt and be like, well, they're there. Why aren't they in the other? It just, it just felt strangely unpredictable and you know i probably probably won't won't figure out i won't have an answer for it but just interesting and whether it's food source related or not not totally sure but it's been been a topic of conversation in some of the camps i've been into so going going between wisconsin and minnesota are like is are you looking for the same style of covers between those two states um, or is it totally different from one to the other? That's a good question, and I think I've talked about it a little bit before. I wouldn't say it's it's not apples to oranges, but there can be there can be some real differences in what I'm looking for when I'm over there. And like what I've come to understand is it has a lot to do with the soil, and and that's that's the topic that I have brought up here before. Growing up, I I hunted a very very small portion of Minnesota. I mean, like I just hunted the same, same kind of cover over and over again for a lot of years. It wasn't until 
I got started getting dogs six, seven, eight years ago that I started traveling around and hunting different areas and realizing like grouse cover looks different when you go different places. So when I go over to Wisconsin, there's a lot more sandy soil and that sand country or sandy soil that makes different looking grouse cover than sort of heavy, heavy clay soil stuff that I was used to hunting in Minnesota, stuff that's predominantly Aspen, but like spruce, birch, like that getting like on that border of the boreal forest, like very, very lowland swampy type cover, go over to Wisconsin and there's, there's more sand country, there's higher, drier covers. And yeah, you definitely, I'm definitely like an oaks. I mean, oaks were something that like I hardly ever hunted in and around oak trees the way I do now. And I've come to appreciate all those differences and the nuances in the cover. And like, I'm, I'm starting to get a pretty good handle on how I go about finding cover in that sandier, drier soil. Like when you've got hardwoods and oaks and there's the components are, are still there, like the hazel brush and the aspen. Like I'm usually looking for that kind of stuff, but yeah, things can, things can look quite a bit different. Like even from, you know, one region of a state to another. Yeah, I mean, even, I mean, what you just said there, between the two states, one sandier, one a little bit more clay soil, I could even relate that just from one side of our state to the other side. One side is a heck of a lot more sandier, and the other side is a lot more lowland, darker soil. Um, You have more fir trees versus the the white pines you have in the sandy sandy part of the state. It's I, 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 it, it is a little bit of a struggle, especially for me going back and forth between the two types of those covers because I, I like the looks a lot more of the darker soil cuts and areas than I do the sandy ones. So I still struggle a little bit more because the sandier ones, they grow back. The aspen grows back a little bit sparser. There's not as much, you know, regrowth that comes up with the aspen. It's a lot more ferns. And it's like, how do you, there's birds in the area, but what exactly are you pinpointing, targeting, going through those areas compared to, you know, some of the darker soil areas that I hunt that I seem to have better success in? Yeah, that, that's really interesting that you brought that up because ever since I've I've started, you know, hunting those different types, I had the same thing. Like originally I just kind of chalked it up to like, I just had way more confidence hunting the heavy soil covers. And, that, and the sand country was totally new to me. Now I'm building more confidence hunting the sand country, but there's there's a fine line for me there. And it's it's like some of the sand country, it's so like, and this is like pretty specific to where I'm at, but so high and dry and like there's there's no swamps, like you don't have the beaver swamps, you don't have like the much for drainages. I mean, it can just be like really, really high ground. That is there's Aspen all over it. I mean, I can, I can go to a, a a prime age Aspen cut any time of day, all day long, go to a new one. And like, there's no shortage of like what you might look at and say, Hey, that's grouse cover. But I really just, I don't have the confidence walking into some of that stuff versus maybe a heavy soil where I've got, you know, I have a, a big swamp or a creek. You got a beaver swamp in there, some edges that I can work around that heavier soil. I've got the hazel brush. Like it's just really interesting and, and it's kinda I was going to ask you which soil type you preferred hunting and it sounds like you like the heavier soil. I, I feel like I hear that from like most of the people I talk to, but I do know some people that kind of prefer hunting 
hunting the sand country. Yeah, I like the heavier soil just because of the fact that you can look at a place, and this goes back to being more efficient with your internet scouting. You can look at a cut on a map, get a general idea of what's around it, and I'm going to say this cut is going to have the type of cover growing in it that I'm looking for, and you're yep. going to go there, and you and you probably are going to see birds. And I try and duplicate that thing on the same side or the other side of the state in some of the sandier areas you you look at a map and you're like this is a 15 year old cut it's got some pines around it 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 should be on paper on paper this is where that part comes in on paper it looks good and then you go there and i look at it and i'm like man this is just it's the right age cut it looks good there's a few things around but there's nothing else that's growing back up in the cut besides just aspen yep and you look at it kind of from the outside looking in, you're like, it doesn't look too bad. The Aspen looks about the right size you need. And then you start hunting in it and you realize that it's just, just Aspen and there's not a whole lot else to it. And there might be a bird or two in one of the corners, but outside of that, it's usually not a spot that I'm walking into and just going from bird to bird where we're going to have a good afternoon. Yeah. That's super interesting. I, I like, I appreciate getting your perspective on that. Cause it's, I would say like, I pretty much echo that and I, for quite a while, I just wondered, you know, if I had like a self-fulfilling prophecy where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find the heavy soil stuff. I'm hunting that. I, I hunt it more. I flush more birds there and I don't give the sand country a chance. I, I honestly feel like I don't track this specifically, but I feel like I've, I've hunted both of them enough now to say that, yes, I can have a good hunt in some of that sandy stuff, but my odds of having that hunt, that's like a really, really good hunt, you know, 15, 20 birds or more, like it's usually in the heavier soil. And I, I mean, I would love to hear from people that have maybe have a different perspective on that. Um, I know I've, I have interviewed before Kevin Shepard. I know the area that he hunts a little bit more now than when I interviewed him, but he, he told me that he preferred sandier stuff, but I think knowing a little bit more about like where he hunts, I get it because it's, it's kind of like that, what I was referring to earlier, some of the sand country if you will is like it can be swampy and you can have a nice nice stand of oaks next to a beaver swamp and it's sandier but it's not like the super sandy country yeah if that if that makes any sense (laughs) yeah i mean i guess there's a spot that i that's in sand country that i hunted earlier this year uh, a few weeks ago and there's been birds in there in the past and i was expecting there to be birds in there this year when we went in there and it's, it's not a big cut, it's small, but there's a big beaver dam on the backside of it. Yep. And so I went in and I hunted that whole backside of that beaver, beaver dam. And I ended up shooting one bird back there and it was the only bird we saw back in there. And, but what happened was at some point in time, somebody in this spring or summer, or I don't even know when people do trapping or whatnot, but somebody must've came in there and trapped all the beavers. And then they blew up the dam because the pond was a hundred percent gone. It was just a Creek that ran through down there. There wasn't any water in any surrounding holes or or anywhere around in that area. The, all the tag alders that were in there from, you know, branching out into that edges of that pond were all dried up and gone. And there was no new beaver sign. So I figured somebody had came in and trapped the beavers because all the the cuts from beaver marks were all old from years past. There wasn't any fresh ones or anything. And like I said, we just moved the the one bird in there that I ended up shooting and that was it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one hunt, but yeah, both sounds like we're, we're kind of like 
getting at the same thing and sort of have have a similar perspective on that yeah again it goes back to i'd love to love to hear from some listeners if they've got uh they've got a different perspective on on the sand country versus the heavier soil types and it's i mean i've certainly really enjoyed learning more about it and and spending more time hunting both just because i think it makes you a better hunter overall you know the more you can hunt different stuff and build confidence finding birds in different cover types like you're going to be able to put the pieces together better when you start hunting a new cover you know tomorrow the one place i guess i'll say i've had a little bit more success in in the sandier area is if i'm if there's a creek or a river that runs through an area and it doesn't even have to have aspen that runs along it as long as it's somewhere you know in the area where birds can use within that you know half mile mile home stretch and i'll go through and i'll run those the edges of those rivers and down there it's a lot more there's a lot more diversity a lot different stems that are growing up a lot of different cover. And that's usually where I'll find the majority of birds in that country versus just walking through Aspen cuts or pine thickets, things like that. I think you make a good point there. And it, it may be, I mean, it may be obvious to people that have been doing it for a long time, but for folks that haven't riparian corridors, rivers, creeks, basically just what you said, Cliff, forget about what's around it. Like if you're in that area and you're on a creek or a river or riparian edge corridor, spend some time on that edge because I've seen it enough over the years. Grouse are keyed in on those areas, whether it's the water or the cover that results in that river edge, creek edge. That is a place worth being regardless of whether or not there's a 10-year-old aspen cut nearby. There, There usually is when I'm hunting because I've sort of I'm like looking for areas that have all of these components, but yeah, if you find yourself along an edge like that, spend some time walking along it, no matter what you see. Funny story going back into the deer hunting and kind of, you know, grouse scouting and deer hunting at the same time. There was a a spot last year that I went in deer hunted during rifle season and there isn't, there isn't a lick of aspen stands or a cut anywhere around this section. Yeah. And it's a, a creek that runs through next to some hardwoods. And there's a bunch of tag alders that branch off from the creek. And it's all like, man, there's probably a couple hundred yard stretch of grassiness and tag alders that run along next to the creek before you even get to the creek itself. Yep. And I walked through there last year during rifle season and I moved like five grouse getting back to the spot I was going to hunt. So I was like, son of a gun, I'm going to come back here and grouse hunt next year. <laughs> the first week of November, I went in there because at this point in time, all the leaves in the area were down. Every like The birds had to be in this cover. There wasn't anywhere else for them to be at this point now. And I was like, we're going to go in there. I'm going to take my shorter range and dog, and we're just going to work right through the edge of these tags and hopefully shoot a pile of birds going back in there. And we didn't, and I didn't see a bird going in there. And then I went back there opening day of rifle season. I flushed a grouse out of there when I went back and hunted it for, for deer two weeks later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's grouse hunting for you. That's for sure. But yeah, that's, I mean, the alders are one that we didn't mention. I mean, that's, yeah, I'll never forget. I had a, when I got my, not long after I got my first dog. So seven, eight years ago, I had a guy, local guy he, you knew I was new and he wanted to take me out. Like I was trying to get my dog into the birds in the spring. And we've got some areas around here that, you know, you can go do that without like going out onto the public land, like where you're going to go hunting. And he took me into a place that there's no cutting, there's no forestry. It's, it's nothing, but it's a huge sort of like floodplain that is just nothing but a giant alder flat 
that has, you know, like a lot of it's low ground. I mean, you could be up to your, you know, knees in water if it was a really wet year, but there's all these humps and undulations in the terrain. And on the high ground, you've got basically a mix of mature aspen, red and white pine, birch, and then you got hazel brush and there's swamp grass. And so you got alders and swamp grass and this cover that like hardly changes at all from year to year. And I never forget the first day he brought me there. He's like, this is forever cover. Like it just, it, it doesn't change. And to be fair, you can't hunt in here. So that, you know, that's helping the birds somewhat, but I go in there and like, man, if I had, if I had a hundred spots like that, I would hunt that stuff all day. I'd never go in a, an Aspen cut if I didn't need to, because I'd much rather walk that sort of high ground. You can sort of weave your way through it. Now, straight alders can be a challenge because that stuff grows horizontal. But if you have enough high ground and you've got the vertical timber with the white pine and the aspen, like to weave your way through that mature stuff, if you have a good shrub component understory, like I will hunt that all day long. Yeah. Yep. No, that, that sounds like the place to be. Oh, that's good stuff, man. That's, that's good. Uh, good grouse cover conversation, especially this time of year, you know, late season folks are still getting out there, getting after. I'm guessing you guys don't have any snow over there, do you? No, we don't yet. Uh, we had we've had just a touch of snowfall sure. uh, last week, a few dustings here or there, but that's been it so far. We haven't gotten any. Well, you know what? There has been the very tip of the northern lower. They did probably get like a half inch of snow last week, and then there was spots in the UP here that have received you know almost a foot of snow. Yeah, yeah. The UP did get quite a bit of snow actually earlier in November. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've we got a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of areas around here that are snow free, but the temps are cold, and this I have snow in my yard right now, but it's not it's not full coverage or anything. But I just like you're just getting to that point where I'm feeling the pressure of you know one good blizzard and uh, my heart's going to be broken for the rest of the year. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean you're hoping to get a weekend or two, uh, squeeze mm-hmm. a little bit of time out of December or what's coming up here. At least yep. for us, because we got to wait till December now. But right, yeah, I mean you're hoping to squeeze a, a little bit more out of time. But like you said, there could be one big storm that comes through and just gives you a foot foot of snow and it ruins a weekend, and then you're stuck with that. St- foot of snow for the next two weeks because it doesn't you don't get warm weather again right right yeah do you have any other than other than taking advantage of late season rough grouse hunting you got anything else on the calendar this year no i don't okay nope uh, i think at one point i would like to do a trip to kansas either this time i've, I've always kind of wanted to do it this time of year just yeah. for the fact that there's nothing going on back home here besides deer season. So, you know, if you could go on out on opening day, shoot a deer, then you have the rest of November here back home where you're not doing anything. That would be a, that'd be another really nice, again, not like having the decision taken away from you to plan a good, you know, last week in November trip. That would be cool. Yeah, exactly. I, I would like to do it here, here at some point, but Montana was, that was the big trip for the year. So sure. yeah, we'll ride that one out for now. Cool. Well, we got a couple more things to cover and, and I, I'll mention this in the intro, but I forgot to bring this up earlier, but I did, I did want to make sure I said thank you. And, uh, you know, folks that listen, know that you, you designed the logo for the birdshot podcast for me. And, uh, that's been, it's been great to have that. And I, I appreciate it, but certainly wanted to thank you again on the show for doing that, man. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And thanks, you know, for, for thinking myself and uplander on the opportunity and reaching out and glad we could, we could work together. Um, yeah. it looks like, uh, there was some good feedback on it, except for that one guy named Randy. Nobody likes him anyways. 
<laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. It, it seemed like it was, it was well, well taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was that's good. And with with that, we'll kind of segue into like we haven't even talked about Uplander lifestyle and and I, no, I'm not. I can't let you go before we talk a little bit about like maybe we'll wrap up with with some of the uh, some of the GoPro stuff. But talk to me about Uplander lifestyle. Let the listeners and audience know what it is and where where they can go to learn more if they if they are interested. So. Uplander is a lifestyle brand for upland hunters. We create content um, and apparel generated towards the the upland lifestyle, basically for people who enjoy going out there and running bird dogs and shooting birds. That's really what it's the whole theme of the brand tries to encompass all the, the feels that go into upland hunting to give something back to people where they can, you know, feel like they're represented and with what they, they wear, the things they, you know, watch, say, and do, uh, everything that comes into to upland hunting. Yeah. So, so Uplander, we do offer a line of apparel that's of lifestyle apparel that's geared towards upland hunters with designs that, you know, all the all the things that go into upland hunting, whether it's the things you say in the field, the gear you use, the types of dogs you run, um, trying to in- incorporate that all into designs that represent and, yeah, represent people and what they're into that they can wear something and be proud of that represents them. Yeah. What, when did you start it and what made you want to start Uplander? So I started it three years ago now, going into year four now. I I wanted to start it because I felt, or or first of all, I've, I've worked in the outdoor industry for my entire career now. And I always was drawn to this industry, not because of the role that I wanted to do, but because the hunting and the outdoors, it was my passion. And that's why I wanted to be involved with in this industry because it was my passion. It's what I, what I love to do. And if you you always look at something and you're like, man, how can I give help, give back to something I'm passionate about besides just, you know, working for a company and, you know, being the marketing manager there, because that doesn't put a stamp, even though you work in the outdoor industry, that doesn't put a stamp of you trying to help or better or push the industry forward, basically. So it's, I looked at it and it said, what can I do to help the outdoor industry? What I'm, what I'm passionate about. Um, and then upland hunting came into it because, you know, I'm passionate about that. And, you know, I looked at the upland hunting industry as a whole and I was like, you know, how can I, how can I help this? How can I, how can I help keep pushing the industry forward and leave and, and incorporate that with into my passion? So I said, you know, my, my skills are design work, graphic design, content yep. creation and marketing. So how can I use those to give something back to the industry to help out? And that's how Uplander was born. And it came about with, you know, content creation and, creating t-shirts apparel designs like that that represent people who are upland hunting um you know we we give back and we donate to upland conservation charities from sales that from every sale so that was another thing you know that i wanted to look at how can i have an opportunity to help give back and uplander was it with what i thought that my skills were basically yeah very cool i've been kind of sort of you know casually following along for the past couple of years since you launched it and you know, when it came time to, I needed some design work. I was, I was always intrigued by a lot of your designs. I felt they were super creative. So I just, I mean, I kind of told the story, but I just sort of reached out to you out of the blue and was like, Hey, I, you get it, you know, and that's, that's like sort of what you're getting at. 
you know, the Upland space is very niche and it's, if you would just go out on some graphic design website, like trying to explain somebody sort of the feel and the vibe of Upland hunting to get sort of a logo or something designed like that. Like I, I knew like I, I needed to, to talk to somebody like you that kind of understood it and did it and was passionate about it. So yeah, that's cool. I think it, I think that a lot of that's like stuff very much shines through in the designs that you've come up with. And, uh, I appreciate that about it. And, and, you know, now it's, you mentioned, and I mentioned a couple of times, the YouTube videos. And like, I know, like I brought up the hunting public earlier and I think, I think you, you're, you know, maybe taking some inspiration from them. And I think we're going to start to see a lot more of it. And I'm, I'm personally, I'm excited about it because it's such a, we talk about this stuff and like, there's so many people that are passionate about it, but there are a lot of people that are trying to learn more about it. And man, like the, that visual aspect of actually showing people the cover and, and being able to see some dog work, like that stuff is just so hard before we had these cameras and and the ability to do it. Like you just never could do it. You know, every once in a while a TV show would cover rough grouse hunting and, you know, who knows what they would capture in a day or two of shooting. Like, it's just hard to get that stuff on camera. But now, you know, you can wear a GoPro and record the whole season. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's that's throwaway worthy. But you're starting to capture some cool stuff. And I think more and more people are going to be doing that. Was that kind of your goal with it? Yeah, I think especially how everything is trending, whether it's how people consume media, whether it's just somebody looking for entertainment or looking for something to learn. I mean, this is where the space is going. And I mean, the hunting industry as a whole is, a, is always been farther behind on the curve of things and how yep. people consume their media um, and how they get things. You, you know, you look at the YouTube space just in the last four or five years now, things have been really taken off now in the hunting industry, um, yep. especially like the whitetail big game world. And if you look at what YouTube was before that, I mean, YouTube, it's not like YouTube just popped up five years ago. Exactly. YouTube's, YouTube's yeah. been a thing. The world itself has been living in YouTube. The hunting industry hasn't been living in. Correct. And not just YouTube, but just the way ever content is consumed. I mean, even you look at, you know, podcasts, for example, I mean, you've been doing this podcast for a few years now. Well, I mean, it's not like podcasts just popped up three, four years ago, they've been going, it's been a thing that the whole world has been consuming beside, and now it's finally coming to light in the hunting industry finally. And that's finally, and and you see it start to trickle down a little bit to the upland world now. It seems like we're the, we're the last ones for it to reach finally. (laughs) Upland's always further behind. (laughs) I mean, maybe you could say something like, you know, trappers could be a little bit farther behind, but for the most part, we're, yeah, we're at the, the end of the school bus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where I think the majority of, I mean, I went, I went to school for video production, um, camera, camera work and that type of thing. And that was 10 years ago now. And at that point in time, it was just where things were starting to trans transition into a digital space versus TV world. They were using different programs at the time for editing Um, They were using different cameras at the time and all that stuff was literally on the verge of tipping over and the whole industry shaking up and how they used things that the equipment, the programs they were used. So I was taught in this very old school chain or old school manner. 
And at the time they all, you had these old professors and they're like, no, this is, this is how TV has been done for the last 50 years. And this is how it's going to be done for the next 50 years. If you think otherwise that how things are going to go, you're crazy. Well, I mean, two years after I got out of that school, uh, the pro the editing programs that they were said were going to be around forever that they taught you in gone. You're using, you're using different ones. You, You know, you went from big, bigger style tape recording cameras now all of a sudden over to SLRs um, in a a blink of an eye. And that's kind of like what I, what I was taught in at that point. And it just happened over and it changed overnight how media is produced and consumed. And that's the world we're living in now, the the new age world compared to the old TV days. Yeah. And, and next year it might look totally different, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Exactly. But we're we're certainly riding this wave, and yeah, I I don't know. I mean, everybody. I, I think the podcast audience, people listening to this, are probably you know we probably have some commonalities in sort of how we consume things, and like it's probably not out of the question to think that many people listening to this might go watch a bird hunting YouTube video. I mean, for me, it's very much a lot of it's entertainment factor. You know, if it's the off season or whatever, I'm just kind of wanting to wanting to watch something but more and more with the it really has a lot to do with like the improvements in the gopro cameras or or just that you know the handheld cameras that people can use in the field like you can actually see stuff you can see cover and you can learn you can pick up on a lot of that information that we talked about earlier that you can then apply to whether it's your next hunt around home or your next out-of-state trip all that kind of thing it's cool. I'm excited about it and uh, kind of looking forward to seeing more of it. And I've been watching some of your videos. I mean, you're at a spot where I've been running the GoPro this year and I'm, I'm really like, I haven't made the commitment to actually like, Hey, I'm doing this to share. I mean, I share some of it, but I was able to get comfortable with it. Just knowing like, Hey, I can capture some really cool moments with me and my dogs and in in these birds in places that I love being like, I'm going to be able to remember this stuff. And so like, that's my primary motivator at the moment. But you've you've got more of a like you're taking a different approach where you're legitimately capturing stuff. You're going out and you're capturing it, kind of knowing that you're going to be sharing some of this stuff. And that's what, one thing I wanted to tell you. Like I appreciate sort of the narration component of your video, sort of giving some of those tidbits in like what you were thinking or what you saw the dog doing that in the field decision making. I, I just love talking about that stuff. I love thinking through it, and I think ultimately that that's what makes us better upland bird hunters or at least enjoy our time more um so i really appreciate that component of what you're doing with your videos like that was intentional obviously yeah i wanted to have uh, to be able to tell a little bit more of a story yep and i think that's you know that's always something that you especially when you know you get more involved with video production work and things like that you're trying to tell a story sure and it's it's hard to tell to, even just the GoPro itself, it's hard to tell. That doesn't always tell the whole entire story of maybe how necessarily a dog worked a bird up until the you know the twenty seconds of you walking up to it on point. Yep. Um, there's always so much more information about how you got to that point that led up to that instead of just going in and shooting the bird and seeing a bird fly up and shoot it. So that's kind of what I want to do is be able to help tell that story a little bit more and all the things that make our sport and hunting so enjoyable because those are the things that, you know, it's not shooting the bird. It's all those details that go into shooting the bird that keeps us coming back and wanting more. Right. 
Yep, absolutely. Whether it's the dog work or the the crazy flush or the you know the miracle shot or or the big whiff, as you've been you've been sharing some. I I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna mention like I've I've got some epic misses recorded on the GoPro and I haven't shared a lot of them. So you know the stuff that I've been putting out looks a lot like a highlight reel, but. I got to figure out how to like, I'm just doing all my editing in the GoPro app. I'm, I'm sure you're not doing that, but I got to figure out how to add in some bleep noises. Cause that's usually what follows after my big misses. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I've tried to be a little bit more conscious about that this year, just cause the fact that, you know, there's it, one word, it doesn't seem so bad, but right. there's been times in the past where it's like, holy crap, did I really sound like that? Like I, I sounded mad. Like yes. I, I shouldn't even be out there doing it if I'm going to get that mad. So Dude, I, you know, I, I was going to say I, I have the same same thoughts. Like it's been a little bit eye opening running the GoPro and like sort of rewatch. Sometimes it's like almost embarrassing. Like man, I was really that frustrated in that moment. Like you know, talking that way and and in some ways it's 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 almost like been kind of positive because then like the next time I'm out, like I'm kind of just like I'm sort of like talking and like doing a little narration into my GoPro and I'm more just like having fun with it. And it's, I don't know, maybe you just needed that reminder from time to time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have a definitely a tendency to take things a lot more serious than yeah. it really should be. Um, I probably <laughs> get more upset at things that I shouldn't get so upset about. Um, and it does take away a little bit of the enjoyment and I'm, I, I, I kind of burned myself out with that with deer hunting and I'm trying not to let that happen so much because I also used to film my deer hunts and okay. not even the filming part of it, the aspect, but just being so hardcore wrapped up into it that like things make you mad and upset you and it takes some of the enjoyment out of the sport that you, you, you know, you're doing this to have fun, yep. not to be upset about. Because, you know, your neighbor shot a deer or, you know, you missed or something like that. Yep. Those those things shouldn't be taking the enjoyment out of the sport. And if if they are, at the end of the day, you probably shouldn't be doing it anymore. So it is, it's something I'm trying to be conscious of and not be so wrapped up into it that it takes part of the fun out of it. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. I can 100% relate to you, and I, I imagine many people listening can. It's I think it's a function of how seriously we do take it and how passionate a lot of us are about it and the, the time investment, all that plays into it and you lose your cool in the moment or whatever, you know, something bothers you. But yeah, I think like what you said, as long as you can acknowledge it and sort of, okay, you know, put it behind me. Let's, let's go have fun tomorrow and go cut the dogs loose. Like you're doing it right. Yep. A hundred percent. Awesome, man. Um, I did want to ask you what, so I won't ask you about all the video editing and stuff. Cause I, I have a feeling that I may only be interested in that and not so many of the listeners, but what are you running in the field for your cameras? So I use a DJI Osmo action cam. Okay. And DJI, they make the, the a lot of the drone footage yep. that you see. So they make drones and action cams like that. It's, it's, it is. I haven't used any of the newer GoPros, but from everything that I've seen with the camera and I've used it, it is pretty comparable back and forth between a GoPro. I think there is a few more features on the 9. Um, I think here in the future it is – I do want to get one of the newer GoPros and just go back and forth a little bit between the two. 
see the differences. Yeah, exactly. You know, there is a few things that, I mean, I think you've talked about it a little bit before, even some of the features where, you know, if you, when you start rolling, it also pre-records the first 30 seconds before mm-hmm. that, things yep. like that with the GoPro. And there's some of those things that I'm missing out with on the DJI that I'm currently running, but yeah. it has good quality footage. It shoots in 4k if you want it to. Um, yep. I personally don't shoot in 4k, uh, just because you get file size giant giant then you have to you know it's not just if you're going to record things you also have to think okay how am i going to store this and then not just store but how am i going to organize it within the storage so there's or edit it and watch it i mean like some of those 4k clips like you can hardly even pull them up and watch them yeah exactly that's that's the thing so Um, what do you shoot what do you shoot in i shoot in 1080 1080 what frame rate 60 60. Okay. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. And so, yeah, 1080, 60, and you, you can, you're still doing, you can still do your slow-mo and stuff. Yeah. So on, yeah. on my camera, you could shoot in 120, but if you shoot in 120, you lose the stabilization. Oh, gotcha. So, okay. And I mean, for anybody out there for, we're talking frame rates now, I guess you could call it a little geeky. Yeah. Um, but the frame rate is how fast, how many frames that camera is basically taking a picture of to create the video in one second. So the more frames that you have in a second, if you slow down footage, the smoother it looks. Correct. Yep. So if you're shooting in 120 and you slow a video down, it's going to look like a lot more of that natural slow motion. Yep. If you compared to, let's say you're shooting in 30 and you try and slow it down, your, your frames are farther apart. You have bigger frames that are longer and it's a little blockier looking. It's Looks it's choppier. not as yeah, it's not as smooth and fluent as the 120 frames per second. But 120 frames per second is also a larger file size because the camera is capturing more. Yep. So that's yeah. another thing to be conscious of. Yep. Little a little geeky, but but that still applies. I think like the practical applications, like you know, if somebody is thinking about wearing a GoPro or doing any of this, like these, these are all the questions that I had. And I've, I've learned a little bit about it over the last, got mine in December and now I've used it this year. I'm glad you brought up that, the hindsight feature in the GoPro where I've talked about this before and I've been wanting to sort of address it on the podcast because there's a fatal flaw in the hindsight feature. And I've since changed what I'm doing with the GoPro for the better, for the most part, but that hindsight feature, you hit record and it captures 30 seconds and then, so you've, I've got 30 seconds pre whatever happens, a bird gets up, it flushes, I shoot, I hit it, miss it, whatever. I stop the camera. It captures that 30 seconds prior to the moment. And then in theory, I've got a little clip of the action. And to me, that was a big deal because I didn't want to have all day's worth of footage to go back and look through. I just wanted to store what I, I just wanted to capture what I wanted to review at the end of the day, which was, you know, sort of the highlights, maybe the low lights, just for me, whatever. Problem with that hindsight feature, and I, you can, the cool thing about GoPro is so many people use them in like so many different applications. You can kind of find, I mean, there's all kinds of videos and tutorials and everything. This hindsight feature, it's like a battery saving thing, which is sort of irrelevant because you can use a power pack, which I've started doing this year and you have all day battery, which is another tip for using the GoPro. If anybody has specific questions about this, they can reach out to me and or you cliff. But anyways, the hindsight feature, if you don't do anything with it after 15 minutes, it will stop doing that. So then I no longer have the 30 seconds. So it happened to me a couple times. I didn't know what was going on. I'm hunting, you know, I'm 30 minutes into my hunt. I haven't touched my GoPro. A grouse gets up 
and I kill it and I, I hit the button and I get home and realize it wasn't captured because that hindsight feature shut off after 15 minutes of inactivity, which in my opinion, totally negates like the appeal of that feature. And so anyways, I had to s- stop using that, but I found out what you can do on the GoPro is there's another mode called looping mode, which in many ways works better. My frame rates and my resolutions are limited, but I can record in 1080p at 120 frames per second, which is what I've been doing. And that gives you good slow-mo. It's enough resolution. You know, you can't zoom in quite like you could if it was 4k, but what that does is it captures five minutes of footage. So you've got a five minute loop of footage that like you're just walking through the woods and just like I said before, if something happens, bird flushes, whatever, you got a moment that you want to capture, you hit the button, you got the five minutes leading up to that, which the important takeaway here for anybody interested is I have found like having that five minutes has been, that's been a game changer because that's enough time where I have captured the dog work or the relocations or the points. Like you're actually capturing that story because you've got five minutes versus 30 seconds. So long story short, the end result of what I've learned this year is the GoPro in looping mode is the way to go for grouse hunting. If you don't want to be rolling all the time, capturing hours of footage. Yeah. That five minutes is big. I mean, especially when you talk about how something could go down in front of you within just a matter, you know, sometimes you have a, uh, a peak of action where you're working something real quick and this could be three minutes before you shoot the bird. The dog works up a little bit more there's nothing really happening in front of you and then all of a sudden dog locks back up on point and now you're you're right there when you're recording yep. at that point you have all that previous couple minutes yeah you got a and you got a much much bigger margin of error to sort of let the dust settle after you know capture some of that post shot stuff i'm not in a yep. hurry to to hit the to hit the capture button i mean again you can resolve all this by just rolling all the time and for some people that would be the way to go. Like if you want to capture everything, but if somebody's just looking for the casual approach, how do I capture some of this stuff for me? You'd maybe look into that looping mode. So are you, are you rolling all the time or do you hit, do you start recording when a dog goes on point or what do you do? No, I, I, I don't record all the time. I just record when, you know, cause you've got a good, pretty good gauge on what you're, your dogs are doing, mm-hmm. yep. you know, how they're working something, you know, if you can watch your dog and realize it's not just in search mode anymore, it's keyed on to something, obviously, and something yep. might happen here. That's when I turn the camera on, or even if I'm going into a spot, it's like, oh, this looks pretty birdie. Sure. I'm going to turn the, I'm going to turn the camera on now. And sometimes nothing pops up and I'll turn it back off. Or sometimes we'll go in there and we'll hit a bird. Yep. But the, the biggest thing with the camera is if you're, if you want to do it, it has to become part of your routine, just as if like your routine is, you know, loading up your shells the night before charging your dog's collars. It has to become part of your routine. If you want to effectively use it, it it, it can't just be something that, you know, I'm going to try and press record today. Like it has to be, it becomes part of what you do for the day. Um, you know, you have to make sure your batteries are charged. You have to remember to turn the camera on. You have to know how much space you have on the card in front of you. Um, you have to have extra cards to, to change out. If you, your one card fills up, it just has to become part of your daily hunting routine um, with everything else you do. You know, just like getting the, the dog's collars ready to go, you got to get your camera ready to go. Yeah, that's a great point. I would 100% echo that. And it was it was sort of my biggest fear before going into it. And I sort of, I fiddled around like 
early this season, like I was like, ah, I'm not going to wear it today, you know, and then you miss cool moments and then it's a, then it's a detractor from your experience. Right. But uh, like somewhere probably in October, I was like, all right, every time, you know, I'm wearing it and it's, I'm like the minimalist guy. So like I I've got it dialed into a point where it's, it's almost kind of like non-existent in, in my routine. Like I've got it rigged into my vest and I put the hat on and I've got the, the power pack. And like, again, if anybody's interested in, in doing it or whatever, you can message me and I'll fill you in on my setup. Cause I, I feel like I've got it worked out pretty good to where it's a, it's like a minimal investment of time on a daily basis. Obviously there's some, there's some investment in, in the equipment, but once you get it up and running, like I've got the, like mounted into the hat, it's very wearable. Like it's, it's not like detracting from my experience at all. And, and in fact, when I got some of these clips saved and like some of the stuff I've captured this year, it's like, it's well worth it in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Once you have it down um, and it's in your, your system and your routine and you're, you know what you're doing, it becomes just another, just another thing that you know how to do basically. Um, And it's really not that, it's not that hard to manage. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that's enough of that. (laughs) Enough uh, nerding out on GoPros and action cams (laughs) and stuff. And I I mean, I think, again, I think, I think people uh, are certainly enjoying some of the content that they're seeing on channels like yours and others. Where can, uh, where can people go to see more stuff from Uplander, whether it's, whether it's YouTube videos or the merchandise, the hats, tees, where do they go? Uh, so our website is uplanderlifestyle.com. Uh, you can find all our merchandise and some content on there. And then all our YouTube videos are on our YouTube channel, and that's just Uplander on YouTube. Got it. Good deal, buddy. Well, thank you once again for taking the time to come and chat with myself and the listeners. Thank you for chipping in and uh, supporting the creative development of the Birdshot podcast. I appreciate it, man. It was, it was great to touch touch base with you and, and talk a little grouse hunting. Uh, it, was, it was sort of cool to connect some of the dots and get some things in common as far as like the way we think about things. I love, love having conversations like that. So we'll have to keep in touch and maybe we can find an excuse to get out and go hunting someday. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. No, it was good to talk grouse again. Um, I've kind of got my grouse cap back on now yeah. and I can't go, <laughs> I can't go grouse hunting tomorrow. So I guess I'm going to have to settle and go deer hunting. <laughs> well, good luck, man. I wish you a very happy Thanksgiving and, uh, yeah, let's keep in touch and hope you have a great rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And happy Thanksgiving to you and your family as well. Thanks for having me on. It's good right. talking. Thanks buddy. Thanks for listening, everybody. That does it for this episode of the Bird Shop Podcast. Quick reminder, we are presented by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, Uplander Lifestyle, and Dakota 283. Rate, review, subscribe, like, and share. Catch you on the next episode of the Bird Shop Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. 
Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.